Last week, we read where they had concluded that what they have sown, they now are reaping. And this is one of the reasons, brothers and sisters, that we have to live our lives as clear, as clean as possible, so that we don't have to go through all of this unnecessary things, thinking that, oh boy, all that bad stuff is catching up with me. There comes a point in our lives when all the seeds that we have sown that have been wicked and evil, the harvest should have come, and now we should be beyond that unless we're continuing to sow bad seed. At some point, and if we really grasp the understanding that God is not mocked, whatsoever a man sows is going to reap, then that in itself should provoke us to sow good seed even when we're tempted to go off the deep end. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. After consuming the grain they had received from Egypt, the sons of Israel must return to Egypt for more grain to keep from perishing. Israel's sons convinced him to let Benjamin go with them or they would not return to Egypt. In this episode, we see how Benjamin, Joseph's brother, becomes a critical piece of the puzzle of Jehovah's plan to bring salvation to the tribes of Israel and begin the process of developing Israel as a nation according to a prophetic promise. Today's study title is The God of Israel. So, let's study. As I stated earlier, the message title today is The God of Israel. And if you remember last week, the sons of Israel had gone up to Egypt as we were in chapter 42, and they had purchased grain and brought that grain back. On their way coming back, they stopped to feed their animals and recognized that there was their money in the sack when they got back to their homeland and they told their father and they began to open up the rest of their sacks, they found that all the silver was there. And remember uh, this going forward, Simeon was left in Egypt. He was kept in jail for their return with Benjamin. And so after consuming the grain they had received from Egypt, the sons of Israel is now at a place where they have to return because they need more grain to keep from perishing. Now, I find this interesting because of the statement and because of how things have been preached, and you'll see why as I'll point some things out as we go forward tonight. But Israel's sons convince him to let Benjamin go with them, or they would not return to Egypt. Now, when you think about, well... (laughs) In their prior journey to Egypt to buy food, a condition was for them to bring Benjamin back in order to retrieve their brother Simeon, as I mentioned, who was taken captive there in Egypt. And so in this chapter, we're going to make the connection and see how Benjamin 
Joseph's brother, becomes a critical piece of the puzzle of Jehovah's plan to bring salvation to the tribes of Israel and begin the process of developing Israel as a nation according to the prophetic promise. And Jehovah had made this promise to Israel back in Genesis chapter 35, where he said, And Elohim said unto him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel. Now, we've pointed out that since this particular chapter, Moses or the translators have continued to use the name Jacob, even though the Almighty has clearly communicated that his name was not Jacob anymore. And as we go through, I can see why people have a tendency to continue to use Jacob because either Moses or the translators interchangeably use Jacob. And I know that growing up and going to church and praying Rarely did I ever hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I was always taught the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there are people who call their ministries by Jacob's name. There are messianic ministries who identify their ministry with the name Jacob, as if Father has not changed his name. And here's the thing about when father do something, there's a tendency for people to hold on to the old instead of embracing the new father made a change. And I find it interesting that even though he made that change, that there are people who want to hold on to the old Jacob instead of embracing the new Israel. Another reason I think that that might be is because when you use the term Israel, people have connected the name Israel to a state. They've connected the name Israel to a land. They've connected the name Israel to a vicinity or piece of property in a particular location. And yet, the name is first given to a man. And so whenever people say, do you love Israel? My first response is, what Israel are you talking about? Because we know that the first Israel was not a piece of property. The first Israel was the name of a man. Secondly, there were the 12 sons of Israel, where we now know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. And so you have Israel, the man, you have Israel, the tribes or the sons, and then you have Israel, the land. And of course, there's, there's more to that as we go, but we'll see all that unfold as we continue in, in the Torah. He says, your name shall not be called anymore, Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee. And the king shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac 
to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And so this is a promise that Father has made to Israel, and he doesn't know how this promise is, is going to unfold, but what we find it in the unfolding or the unveiling of this plan, some what perceived to be tragic situations are a part of the plan of the Almighty. Here's a lesson for us, that there are things that Father will speak to us, and it's interesting that when we get a word from the Almighty, there is an excitement that comes from that, especially if it's a word of promise or blessing, something to look forward to. But how Father bring about that plan may not necessarily be the way we would want him to do it. (laughs) And so we're going to see here how he is unveiling that plan. One thing that you'll notice about this particular chapter, and we'll see in the next chapter, is in this particular chapter, Israel is used three times. The name Jacob is not found. And so Jacob is going to be referred to in every one of these passages as Israel, as Father had proclaimed in the chapter we just read from where the promise was. Chapter 43, verse 1. And the famine was so in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the corn which they had brought out of Egypt, their father said unto them, Go again, buy us a little food. Judah now becomes a spokesman for the brothers. Now, Judah was not a firstborn son. Remember, Jacob, Israel, had four wives. And each of those wives had a firstborn son. And Judah, though he came from Leah, was not the firstborn. I believe he was the fourthborn son. But he takes the lead. And it was Judah's idea, if you remember, to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites for money. Says, why why shouldn't we make something here? Instead of just killing the boy and making nothing, we'll sell him and and we'll we'll make some money. And I know this is a very small, but I wanted to put this up here because you'll see Jacob's wife or Israel as he became, Zilpah, Bilhah, Leah, and Rachel. And you'll see under Leah, There was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. And if you'll notice, because this particular passage and the next passage, actually the next few passages, we're going to see Rachel's sons in action. And there were two of them, Joseph and Benjamin. And Judah spoke unto him, saying, The man did solemnly protest unto us, saying, You shall not see my face except your brother be with you. Now, Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, now becomes a critical piece of the puzzle. Father has gotten Joseph into Egypt. He's become the Lord of the land. And now his younger brother plays a pivotal role in getting the rest of them to Egypt. Because... Jacob, Israel, has to come to the conclusion that he now has to let this boy go. If he doesn't let them go, according to their own language, 
they will perish. Verse four says, if thou wilt send our brother with us, we will go down and buy thee food. But if thou will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said unto us, you shall not see my face except your brother be with you. And so as you can see from the text, Benjamin is a critical piece to father's plan. Israel identified his son's behavior as evil. In verse 6, he says, And Israel said, Wherefore dealt ye so ill with me, as to tell the man whether you had yet a brother? And that word, ra, ra'ah, to be bad, to be evil, he says, why, you, why did you do this? And the word implies bad, evil, displeasing, injurious, evil, wicked. And you got to understand that up until this point, Israel's sons have done some pretty bad things. He knows these boys. And so for him to use this kind of language is not surprising based on the character they have already displayed up to this point. In verse seven, and they said, the man asked us straightly of our state. And of our kindred, saying, Is your father yet alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to the tenor of these words. Could we certainly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? Now, here's the thing these questions were not recorded in the narrative. So either they were left out of the conversation or these fellows are lying. And it's a, it's a legitimate conclusion to come to. And I'm not saying that he didn't ask these questions, but these questions were certainly not in the narrative and they will be asked is as if they volunteered information. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen people who are scared. You catch them, you know, at the hands in the cookie jar. And, you know, if you have cornered them, when people say, well, there's no way I could have done that because I wasn't, you know, I had somebody say, there's no way I could have done that. I wasn't even bored when that happened. <laughs> people have a tendency to volunteer information thinking that they can talk their way out of a situation, not knowing that by communicating, especially providing information that has not been asked, one can entrap themselves. And so anybody who is familiar with the legal system know that the only thing that comes out of your mouth if you're ever apprehended by the authorities is lawyer, lawyer. <laughs> and the lawyer will say, do not say anything. You get you, your representation there. And if you are asked a question, and you're permitted to answer the question, answer the question and be done. Don't volunteer any, any information. Don't give any information. And it seems as if this is what these brothers did. And as a result, now, like I said, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I'm just saying that it's not recorded in the narrative. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, and here you see, he said unto Israel, his father, is not Jacob, is Israel. 
Send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Now, the language here indicates that if they don't go up and get food from Egypt, grain from Egypt, they will perish. It says that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee and set him before thee, then let me bear the blame forever. Now, remember, it was Judah who sold him. So here he's taken on some kind of responsibility. For except we had lingered, and now this is a charge toward their dad. If you would have let us go when we came back, like we told you, we could have gone and came back now a second time. And that's a legitimate statement because after all, when they return and he refused to let Benjamin go up, Simeon was still in Egypt in prison. So the longer they stayed in the land, the longer Simeon was incarcerated. And it seems as if he didn't mind Simeon being incarcerated if it meant letting go of Benjamin. Now you got to understand it was Simeon who acted the most evil because when they began to deal with the Shechemites, it was Simeon who convinced them and the men to be circumcised and invoked the name of the Most High. He used the name of Jehovah in vain, got these men to circumcise themselves with the understanding that if they did that, they could have their sister Dinah, but instead killed them. Now, here's the part that I want you to pay attention to. It says, and their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels. Wait a minute, they got food? So what is this? If we don't go, we're going to die. Which suggests to me that they were somewhat dependent on something we may call staples. There's a staple food that is part of a diet. Now, I suspect that the grain is for a variety of purpose to make bread, to make porridge, to make, you know, different types of, of food items with this one particular grain. But here's the fact. They had fruit in the land. They had honey in the land. They had spice and myrrh in the land. They had nuts in the land. They had almonds in the land. And yet with all of this, they are at a point to where they're saying that if we don't go to Egypt and get some grain, we're going to die. Now, I don't get it. I'm just pointing out what is there. Now, this word nuts is interesting because everything else, the word bomb there has to do with some form of medicine or some form of salve, honey. The honey could have been made brought from bees or there are other ways of making honey because all honey doesn't come from bees. If you didn't know that some honey comes from clover and their honey that is made from boiling down fruit, some date honey, different types of honey. And then there's this nuts 
Now, this word nuts is only used one time in the Bible, and it's interesting. It's a pistachio. It's a pistachio, and this is a delicacy. And, of course, the translator or the Strong's indicate that this is a delicacy given to Joseph by Jacob. Now, it's these kinds of things that keep Jacob in the mind and on the tongue of people. Because at this particular point, the commentary or the Strong's Concordance or the one who is actually defining the word nut should have put here a delicacy given to Joseph by Israel. And so what I did is I just slashed and put Israel. And he, here's some of the things that you have to watch out for when you're reading commentary or when you're using Bible tools. Because Bible tools sometimes is going to reinforce their biases. They're going to reinforce their position, their, their doctrine, their beliefs. And you have to be able to sort through much of this just like you have to sort through the news. Just because somebody is saying something, if you, if you listen to the anchors and if you listen to the people who are speaking, you can hear their biases. You can hear those who are pro-Democrat or those who are pro-Republican because it comes out in their presentations. Biases come out in commentaries. Biases come out in, in Bible tools. And that's why you can't be dependent on anyone because their denominational position is going to show itself at some point. And that's where you have to really, you know, compare. Verse 12, and take double money. Now, this double money is the money you had and then additional money to purchase. And the money that was brought again in the mouth of your sacks, carry it again in your hand. Paraventure, it was an oversight. Take also your brother and rise. Go again unto the man. So Israel makes a statement invoking Jehovah to provide mercy before Joseph and the safe return of both Simeon and Benjamin. And he's come to the point to where he accepts the fact that he may never see them again. And this is what he says. And Jehovah Almighty, God Almighty, give you mercy before the man that he may send away your other brother and Benjamin. If I be bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. And the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready for these men shall dine with me at noon. Now, if you remember last week, Joseph spoke through a translator or interpreter, which says to me that Joseph learned the Egyptian language, used an interpreter who understood and spoke the Hebrew or the Aramaic language of the children of Israel. So now he's speaking to the ruler of his house. And, and here's one of those, those things, brothers and sisters, as you're reading, especially as you're reading through the Old Testament, as you're reading through the Torah, because we've got an English translation. The assumption is that they're speaking English, but we know they're not speaking English. 
So we've been taught that they're speaking Hebrew. However, if you don't pay attention, you will miss the, the communication barriers because the communication barriers are not pointed out. It's just fortunate that the translator spoke to us last week through chapter 42 to say Joseph was speaking through an interpreter. Now, if we go all the way back to Abraham, when Abraham went up to Egypt, did Abraham know Egyptian? Because he's communicating with the Egyptians and there's no mention of an interpreter. Did the Egyptians speak Hebrew? These are things that you can easily overlook unless you bring your brain with you when you're reading the Bible. Because I'm going to tell you something. Some people read the Bible without their brain. They read through the lens of their denomination and they don't think because they're reading the Bibles while they're, they're reading the sermons they've heard into what is written. So he says to the ruler of his house. Now the ruler of his house either speaks Egyptian or Hebrew or both. The ruler of Joseph's house obviously was able to communicate with Joseph's Hebrew speaking brothers, meaning he was either the interpreter mentioned before or one who also spoke the Hebrew language. And the man did as Joseph bade verse 17. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. The brothers reasoned amongst themselves and as typical worst case scenario, of what is happening and conclude it is about the money. Verse 18. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks at the first time, are we brought in that he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for bondsmen and our asses. Now understand something. They had a legitimate thought because he'd already, at first he said he was going to put all of them in jail. And then he decided he wasn't going to do all of them and send one. He was going to keep one and send the rest of them back. And they still haven't seen Simeon. They don't know what's going on with Simeon. And here they're going by blind faith, taking Benjamin, knowing that their father is back home, worried half to death. Their brother, they don't know where he is, not knowing that they've been communicating with them all along. So they got all this stuff going on in them. And last week we read where they had concluded that what they have sown, they now are reaping. And this is one of the reasons, brothers and sisters, that we have to live our lives as clear, as clean as possible so that we don't have to go through all of this unnecessary things thinking that, oh boy, all that bad stuff is catching up with me. There comes a point in our lives when all the seeds that we have sown that have been wicked and evil, the harvest should have come. And now we should be beyond that unless we're continuing to sow bad seed. At some point, and if we really grasp the understanding that God is not mocked, whatsoever a man sows is going to reap, then that in itself should 
provoke us to sow good seed, even when we're tempted to go off the deep end. Feeling as though they are about to be enslaved and they had not yet been reconnected to their brother Simeon, the brothers confess what happened in their previous journey and the discovery of the silver in their sacks. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and they commune with him. Now this commune here means that they had conversation. They communicated, they talked with him at the door of the house, which says to me that either he spoke Hebrew or he had an interpreter with him and said, Oh, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. And it came to pass when we came to the inn that we opened our sacks and behold, every man's money was in the, in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. And we have brought it again in our hand. Verse 22, Genesis 43 and other money. Have we brought down in our hands to buy food? We can't tell who put our money in our sack. We don't know how it got in our sacks. We paid for it. We didn't steal it. We didn't take nothing. And now here's that money. (laughs) And we brought some more money because we need to buy some more food. And the steward of Joseph's house comfort Joseph's brothers. He said, peace be unto you. Fear not your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. In other words, what is he saying? The money that was in your sack, I put it there. But here's what he said before. Fear not your God. And what is he saying? These brothers had come to a point to where, okay, they are embracing. Now their father had taught them because the thing about Israel, Jacob, is he demonstrated his covenant with the Almighty. He said to him, if you take me to my brother's house and or take me and bring me back, I will give you a tenth of everything. Father made that covenant with Jacob. And then when he came back, he saw that father had honored them. And remember, Jacob told, because father, when he had come under that mindset of being attacked because of what Simeon and his brothers had done to them in Shechem. Father told him to come down and he brought them to Bethel. And when Jacob told his family, he says, listen, put away your idols, get rid of all your idols, wash yourself, put on clean clothes. Why? Because they're getting ready to meet God. And it was there that Um, His name was changed. And from that point on, we can come to the conclusion that Jacob, Israel is telling his sons about this God. And now they've come to a point to where they, if not they, the servant, the steward of Joseph's house, he's saying your God. And I assume he's your God because he's the God of your father. And what's his father's name? Israel. And this is why I titled this, the God of Israel. Now this is uttered from the mouth of Joseph's steward. It's Joseph's steward. And what is that saying? Because you got to understand something. 
Joseph has already demonstrated his love for the Almighty. Joseph proclaimed the name of Jehovah to Potiphar, to Potiphar's wife, to the prison guard, to the baker, to the butler, and then to Pharaoh. He says, listen, I'm not the interpreter of dream, but God will give you the interpretation. And then Pharaoh came to the conclusion, says, what man among us has the spirit of God in him like this man? And so Pharaoh takes a Hebrew who confess and call on the name of Jehovah and put the man who calls on the name of Jehovah as a Lord of his house, the Lord of his people, and the Lord of the land. And then everybody from wherever they came, where there was a famine, had to come up and acknowledge the Lord of the land that the Almighty had placed over the land. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, and this is why I believe that Paul could honestly say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There are way too many people who are ashamed of the gospel. There are way too many people who are ashamed to live their faith out loud. There are way too many people who have allowed the world around them to shut their mouths about who they serve, about the true gospel of the kingdom. But Joseph wasn't one of them. Joseph proclaimed the name of God in a strange land, and his faith in him caused his promotion. You see, Promotion doesn't come from the East or the West. It is not men who promote. Men can put people up, but Father can take them down. He says, listen, I'm the one who puts one up and take one down. If the favor of the Most High is with you, what is man? Who is man? If the Almighty is with you, he's more than the world against you. And so we shouldn't be ashamed we, we shouldn't be making a mockery. We shouldn't be using his name in vain. We shouldn't be operating out of some ego or, or some perverted or, or denominational spirit. But there should be a genuine love for the Almighty, love for his creation, and a desire to communicate the Father's gospel to the nations of the world and whoever will listen. And those who won't, Shake the dust. So he brings water and feed the animals. Verse 24, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their asses provender. So he fed their animals and gave them water and they washed their feet. Why? Because their feet were dirty. It wasn't a foot washing ceremony. They had dirty feet. It was cultural, custom, even in Egypt. But this man could have been a Hebrew. And he may have done what was customary among the people. While they waited for Joseph, they prepared the gift they had brought to present them to him. Now, I have to say, well, I, I can't. I, I, I can't say it. Jacob, Israel, his 12 sons and their children weren't the only Hebrews. The Ishmaelites were Hebrews. The people who took Joseph 
to Egypt was a Hebrew. The Midianites were Hebrews. So there were other Hebrew. It is highly possible that there were many Hebrews in Egypt, not just the Israelites, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites were all from the loin of Abraham, the Hebrew. And they made verse 25 ready. The present against Joseph came at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand into the house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. Now, this word is they bowed to Joseph is shakar. And this is where we get the word prostration and worship. So they prostrated themselves or they depressed themselves or they bowed down themselves in a posture of worship. We're going to see another bow here that is going to be used in the same passage as obeisance. So there's a bow and then there's a prostration. There's a bowing of the head. And you'll see this in some Oriental cultures where they bow to one another. But then there is the prostration to where they get down on the knee and they put their face to the ground. And these brothers are going to do both here. They're putting their face to the ground. They're doing obeisance, that word worship. And remember, Joseph is speaking through an interpreter. He has not yet revealed himself to his brothers. But in this passage, he says, and he asked them of their welfare. Now, it's not mentioning an interpreter here, but in the last chapter, it mentioned that he was speaking to them through an interpreter. And yet he has not revealed himself to them. So we have to conclude that he's still speaking the same language he was speaking the last time they were there, even though the passage doesn't point it out. And he asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spake, is he yet alive? And they answered, thy servant, our father is in good health. He is yet alive. And they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. Now, where is the interpreter? Is it mentioned here? No. So one would assume that they are speaking the same language. And this goes on throughout the Bible where it is not mentioned, but one has to understand lest we fail to remember that Jehovah confounded the languages so that the people could not communicate with each other. And this confounding of the language continued and people were speaking different languages. Even when the children of Israel came into Shechem and they were speaking to the Shechemites. But it doesn't mention that they were speaking by an interpreter. And so you wouldn't even equate an interpreter into the conversation. And yet you have to ask yourself, did they all speak the same language after father confounded the language? Again, please turn your brains on. So here it says, and they bowed down their heads and made obeisance. So here there's a bowing and then there's a shakawing. And this word bow is the word kadad. So here they are kadading, they're bowing down. It could even be to stoop down. They bowed their head and then, according to the verse, made obeisance, which is the word shakal. So you got kadad, 
and Shaka here, which is a bowing and a prostration or obeisance or worship. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Now, these other brothers are his brothers, but they're not his mother's son. They're his father's sons. And here the passage makes it clear, separating Benjamin from the rest of them. This is blood of my blood. This is the son of both my father and my mother. Unlike my other brothers, they're the sons of my father, but we have different mothers. And he said, is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? And he said, God be gracious unto you, my son. So what does he do? He blesses Benjamin. Now, he don't bless them, but he pronounces a blessing over his brother. Joseph had to fight back the compassion he had for Benjamin. It says in verse 30, and Joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother and he sought where to weep and he entered into his chamber and he wept there. Now, why is he going through all of this? Why don't you just reveal yourself? Well, father's ways are not our ways. And here, even in this case, as I said last week, Joseph is planning on his feet. It's like, okay, he's each step is like, I could see, okay, what do I do now? Versus having a plan that he executes from the beginning. Because remember, at first he was going to keep all the brothers and send one home. He kept them in, in jail for how many days? How many days? Three days. And then he had a change of plan to where he was going to let all nine of them go and keep one. Right? So we can see that his plan is evolving as he's going, which to me is planning it as he goes, not knowing what the next step is going to be until he get to the next step. So he goes into his chamber and he weeps. After regathering his composure, Joseph prepares for dining. Verse 31, and he washed his face and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves. So if you were to put this in a room, you'll find that Joseph is at a main table by himself, his brothers. And what's interesting is he's going to set his brothers from the oldest to the least. He's going to set them in an order that is going to cause them to say, how does he know this? <laughs> and then the Egyptians set over in the same room, but by themselves. Why? Because they couldn't eat with these guys. And Joseph is the ruler. They're not eating with him. And even if he wasn't, the ruler, he was a Hebrew, and the Egyptians didn't eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination. And so, you know, here's, here's where I find it very, very interesting, brothers and sisters, is that these individuals are now the servants of someone who is over them that they won't even eat with. They got a ruler over them that is an abomination to eat with. And, you know, this is the best I could do with this is you got an employee, an employer or boss man that you despise. That's the best I could do with it. You hate your boss. 
but he's the boss. So you got to put up with his stuff. And yet your attitude in it can determine how well you do in that situation. I'll tell you, I remember brothers and sisters when I was in the military and this was, this was one of the, the worst times of my life. And don't get me wrong. I was excited to go to the military because I wanted to see the world. That's why I joined the Navy, but I got tricked and they don't feel they tricked me. They made me promises that they didn't put in writing. They told me they would do these things, but those were words. And now that I'm in and I'm locked in, because now to leave would be a crime, I'm locked into a relationship that I feel that I've been tricked in. I don't get the duty I was promised. The only thing I get is the boot camp that I chose to, but once I hit boot camp, my life was no longer mine. And I was, I was given instructions that were contrary to the instructions that I enlisted upon. Worse than that, in my first duty, I had a racist, racist, I'm telling you, I'm from Mississippi. And I know racist, but this was a racist from Alabama. It was a different kind of racist. It was worse than the races in Mississippi. And I'm telling you, this man, I look at him and all I could think of was murder. I wanted to kill him. I wanted this man dead. And one time I plotted it. I'm just confessing. This is a moment of confession. Some of you... Um, very few people know, but I tried to have an accident with this fellow and he knew it. And from that moment forward, he knew that I was not to be fooled with. But when I come into the knowledge that I have now, I sold some bad stuff at that moment. I had hate in my heart that I didn't even know the depth of the hate I had that this racist man from Alabama brought out of me. And I've had to do some serious repenting because I didn't know I had that kind of hate. And this was a case where I had somebody over me that I wanted that man dead. And here I can imagine now, I don't know the depth of these Egyptians toward these Hebrews, but by the time we get to Moses, we can see their colors coming out. Why? Because now they have enslaved them. They are in the abominable capacity that what was in their heart is now playing out in real life. Whereas these Egyptians wouldn't eat with the Lord of the land because it was an abomination. They had a view of Hebrews back in the day of Joseph that literally played out in the day of Moses. And you'll find if we don't deal, and this is the point of, of bringing this out. If we don't deal with those abominable things within us, they're going to find their way to the surface at some point. They're going to find their way. 
And when I look at the things that are happening in this nation, when I look at the things that is happening in the nations of the world, where people talk about systemic racism, they talk about institutional racism, where people can hide their abominable thoughts, feelings, and beliefs until something bring that thing to the forefront. And if it's in you, whatever it is, if you don't deal with it, father is going to flush it out. <laughs> He's going to put you in situations to where you got to come face to face with that evil, face to face with that ugliness. And there are things you don't know that resides that is lying dormant in you until you are face to face with it. And now you got to deal with it. These Egyptians it was an abomination to eat with somebody who is lording over me. <laughs> Joseph said his brothers, according to their age, which astonished the brothers as to how Joseph would have known to do that. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn, according to his birthright and the youngest, according to his youth. So get this. You got the firstborn of Bilhah, the firstborn of Milpah, the firstborn of Leah, the firstborn of Rachel. Well, actually, Joseph. So you got the three firstborns. And then you got the secondborns. And then you got the thirdborns sitting together. And then you got the last. You get this? And it's like, you know, I can imagine what's going on. Is this some kind of Egyptian sorcery? How, how does he know these things? Well, see, he's got inside information because he was born with them. He know who's who, and they don't yet recognize who he is. The brothers had not told their age, and yet Joseph know these things. And then the last verse, and he took and sent messes unto them from before him. But Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Now, I want you to get the picture here. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. So they're sitting at a table. The Egyptians are sitting at a table. All the food is in front of Joseph. And so Joseph is preparing their, their food and sending it to them. And when he gets to Benjamin, he, puts, he just overloads Benjamin's plate and sends it to them. And I, I can imagine it's like, man. <laughs> So if you could see the play on their emotion, their mind, and put yourself in that situation, this is some strange looking stuff. It's certainly strange from my perspective as I'm sitting there like a fly on the wall looking. Now, I know stuff, but I got to act like I don't know in order to see what is happening. Because my knowledge of this story will cloud my view and keep me from seeing how this thing is playing out. And I think that as we see how it plays out, it begins to make a whole lot more sense. And you may even be able to feel some of the things these brothers are feeling, experiencing some of the things that is actually going on. And Father is letting us inside to see, okay, Joseph is showing favors to Benjamin. We know it's his brothers. We know it's his baby brother. But what do they know? They don't have a clue as to what's going on. 
And they're watching this. You see? Now, because you know what's going on, you can't see what's going on with them. Unless you lay aside what you know, put yourself in that situation, act like you don't know, and then you could actually begin to see through their eyes as to what's going on. And I can tell you this, if you take that position as you go through the Bible, that's how it comes alive. Otherwise, it's just letters on a page of a book. But unless you enter into the book and experience what's going on in real time as best you can, then the book becomes alive. And as you experience that, getting in the book, when you come out of the book, you bring the book with you. And guess what? It becomes alive in real time because you've gone through the emotions. You've gone through the feelings. You have felt the anger. You have felt the frustration to a degree. You'll get to the point, And this is one of the things that I, I'm not really big into movies, but probably for me, the most powerful movie I've ever seen is the passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. When he did that movie, it just brought the suffering of Messiah. If there was ever a movie that I cried and felt anguish and frustration and identified my own sin and wickedness and abominable self, that movie brought it out for me. Why? Because it became visual. And for me, if I can get things to become visual, then they become real. To many people, these are just stories. But these are real human beings, just like us, who went through trauma and had to work these things out. Because we can say, well, you know, we know, we know that Israel's son ain't dead, but Israel didn't know that. And we can see why he don't want Benjamin to go. But we say, let him go. It's all part of the story. Let him go. It's like, yeah. (laughs) He said, you don't know what I'm feeling. You're not experiencing what I'm experiencing. Put yourself in my shoes, and then you'll see why I'm behaving the way I'm behaving. And now, as we begin to do that again, you start putting yourself in the shoes of that other person. Put yourself in your wife's shoes. Put yourself in your husband's shoes. Put yourself in your parents' shoes. Put yourself in your children's shoes. One of the reasons why I know that many of my children don't understand me. They don't understand my method. They don't understand why I deal with them the way I deal with them. But see, I look at my children I look at the world, I look at where they're heading, I look at what they're doing, and I can tell by what they're doing where they're going to end up unless I redirect them. If I don't effectively redirect them, they're going to end up in a place that I saw coming because I see how the world operates. Why? I'm 61 years old, seem to be 62, and I've learned a lot. I've gone through a lot. I don't want my children to suffer the way I suffered. I don't want my children to go through the things that I went through. I don't want them to have to pay the kind of prices that I've I've already paved the way for them. 
And I've seen others go, and I've seen how some parents have not worked with their children and disciplined their children and corrected their children. And we live in a society to where parents lack discipline. They lack self-discipline. And because they lack self-discipline, they don't discipline. And we've got a world full of lazy, dope-head, marijuana-smoking, don't want to work, expect everything to be given to them. And that's not to say that's all. But that's a great deal of American youth. And you know what I found? It's not just American youth. This is youth around the globe. I was watching an Asian movie yesterday. And I said, that's my son. <laughs> this is in China, right? It's a Chinese boy. That's my son. He's behaving just like my son. You get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter where you go. It's people are people. They may speak a different language. They may eat a different food. They may like different spices. They may dress different. They may, t- all of that. But inside, they're the same people. Parents who want best for their children, who discipline them, who correct them, and who will give them anything they got. And this is, I believe, the kind of, because even though Simeon caused some issues and Israel said, listen, he prayed that when those boys took Benjamin, that father would show mercy, the man would show mercy, and not only would Benjamin return to him, but Simeon, even the one who caused him problems, would return to him. And now, These brothers are having a reunion and the best is yet to come. And this is the last verse, last slide. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him. Now, you know what's interesting to me, and I know it's a little bit different, but in the military, see here, they are serving food. He sent messes. Now, in the military, I was a mess management specialist. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fancy word for saying I was a chef, a cook. And so when I see this word, you know, it's like, okay, it just brings back some of that memory. And then part of that memory is that Alabamian who was my boss in the kitchen. Anyway, <sighs> thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.